0: And so my entire framework for how I understood God and how I understood, you know, how He's responsive and how, you know, you can pray and you can receive things that He's loving and He wants to be involved in your life, that entire framework collapsed. And I, for me, the, the best description of a crisis is not something that's hard, but it's what happens when your frameworks completely collapse. like your way of understanding the world just disappears. So my framework collapsed and I just went and it seems kind of silly. I think sometimes with faith crises you're like, really is that? But for me that's what it was. Um and everything just went quiet and I ended up so I just I just felt nothing and it was horrible. And then that created a really significant depression and then that led to a really significant anxiety. And then um and it just lasted. It just lasted. And about a year later, I was still in the throes of just feeling so dark and God's not here and there's just nothing. But at least I got to a space where I wasn't so sad and I wasn't so fearful. Or at least I was in a space where I could begin to challenge those things and begin to think about my thoughts. And that's when I sat down and started saying, okay. Frankly, my big question was, is God worthy of worshiping? Does God exist? Um, Because if He's not, then I'm out of here. Like, I'm not gonna stay. If this is the way that God treats people,
1: then I'm not going to stay. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and excited to welcome in Emily Robson Adams. Now, she has four names, but she only goes by two. Uh, And some people even call her Lucas Adams. That's an inside joke. You have to be a part (laughs) of the Patreon group to be able to understand what that is. Welcome, Emily.
0: Thank you, Richie. Thank you for having me on.
1: Uh, now, great to have you here and excited to be able to uh, talk about uh, a, a book that you have coming out. But um, before we even get there, before we talk about uh, you know your writings, divine quietness, finding meaning when heaven is silent, which is, uh, t- to me, by the way, one of those things where I go, wait a minute, is heaven silent or are we just too dense to figure it out? But we'll get to that. We'll get to mm-hmm. all of that, that existential question of who is Emily Adams?
0: <laughs> well I'm I'm a Utah now um married I have three kids I am a practicing attorney so I do uh, appeals just you know most of the work happens in the trial court and then when something goes wrong you go up to the court of appeals in the supreme court so that's the work I do in the court of appeals in the supreme court okay. I actually do a lot of a good percentage of our work is criminal defense work so that's been a whole area of law that I never thought I would go into but that's the vast majority of my practice, and so, I so practice, let
1: me make sure I understand criminal defense appeals. So that's like person who, I don't know. I probably a lot did of first degree felonies. So once wants, wants to uh, say that they didn't, or their only hope of not spending the rest of their life or a good time of of their life in jail is to appeal it and get a lesser or different sentence.
0: Yeah, oftentimes they appeal it with hope that they can get a new trial. Mm-hmm. And only in very rare circumstances can you appeal it and get a lesser sentence or appeal it and have the whole thing dismissed. But okay. yeah. So Amazing. I work in a firm called the Appellate Group, and we are proudly, I think, the largest all-female law firm in Utah, which is exciting. Whoa. There's eight women, seven attorneys, and it's been it's been a really great experience.
1: Now let me ask you about that. Uh, about the and 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 uh, I am going to dive into waters that I want to tread very lightly on. Okay, uh, you know uh, I think within the church there has long been a, a discussion about how everything is sort of men-driven. This is obviously a, a, a woman-driven organization, but within the church we've said, "Hey, if we have all voices at the table, that's what creates the best thing." And and in sort of pushback on some of the patriarchy or male things of the past, there are these all women groups that, uh, you know, I'm all in favor of. So everyone who's getting ready to send their email, contact at theculturehall.com, back that up. But do you, like, give give me how that's not the same thing, or is it the same thing just for women, or 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 how do you walk that line? What does that mean to you?
0: Well, we did have a man at one point. He was with <laughs> us for a year. We were diverse for a year. And then he joined a state agency as a deputy director, and it was a great fit for him. So, of course, we're always always open to, to men but we're uh, kind of a non-traditional law firm in that most of our workers are remote um a lot of them are spread over the united states and different states and so i think it's just a model that maybe fits and appeals better to a lot of women and um and appeals are really controllable you know it's not like litigation in the district court where you've you're going all the time you have like so many different, you could have a deposition one day and you've got all these competing court hearings and things come up all the time and you've got to go figure stuff out and you've got temporary restraining order, you know, it's, it's a lot more controlled. So I think that there's a certain personality that's drawn to that type of work. And um, right now it just happens to be all female personalities, but <laughs> we are certainly certainly open to men and we have had them. And um, yeah, it really is for us, it's a quality of, of work and the people that have come to us that have been exemplary um, have all been women, except for this one oh. man who was also
1: very exemplary and we were very excited to see him go. Okay. Okay. Just curious. I know you didn't think we were going to talk about that this morning. So let's see where else we go in our conversation. Uh, so the married with three kids, uh, how, you, how you like that? How you like that? And you said you're a Utah person now, which leads me to believe that you haven't always been a Utah person.
0: No, no. I was raised in Colorado. And then I came out here for my undergrad. And I met my husband during my undergrad. I was a URU person. He was a U of U person. And so we we got married. And then we went out to Minnesota. And I did law school. He did graduate school. And then after I finished law school, he started law school. And so we did six years straight of law school. And then I probably would have stayed in Minnesota forever. I loved Minnesota. Um, but he was all of Lucas's families here and was feeling a little homesick. So mm-hmm. we ended up making the move back and it's been, we've been here for eight years. So it's pretty, it's the longest time we've been in one place and it's, it's been good. And I, I do love being married and having kids. I call them my life coaches. They kind of keep me centered <laughs> and, and it's been, it's been a good, I mean, of course we're, we're coming into teenage years and sometimes it's can be tricky, Yeah, but we're learning a and- lot.
1: And by sometimes you mean always, and by tricky you mean the hardest time of your <laughs> life. Buckle up.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, we've been lucky where it hasn't been the hardest time yet because we're the younger teenage years. So sure. who knows what happens when we get a little older? But I figure that there's just a lot of wisdom in just enjoying the phase you're in and all the good things and not so good things that it brings.
1: Tell me about the church in Minnesota. What's that? What's that like? I mean, obviously, gospel all those things are the same, but is it? What, what are the Saints like in Minnesota?
0: Oh, I loved them to death. We were in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So mm-hmm. we were like right in the middle of those two cities. And so we had kind of um, uh, lots of students and then lots of kind of inner city folks. And it was, you know, it was a big ward and it's different from Utah wards. I mean, here in Utah wards, there's a lot of folks that have a lot of family around. And so you spend a lot of time with your family and, and maybe not so much time with folks in your ward, but in Minnesota, because we were all, a lot of us were students Our families were nowhere close. And so you just come closer in a different way. And we made wonderful friends and wonderful experiences. Um, It feels like it's been an eternity, though, since we've been there eight years. But it was just a wonderful experience. I loved, absolutely loved Minnesota.
1: And uh, your, your husband being a lawyer does he is there any chance we can get him to be one of the men in the in the firm no he's doing different kind <laughs> of law what does he do
0: he yeah so he's a i'm a, i'm a researching and writing attorney and he's a walking and talking attorney okay. and they're very different skill sets um although he has asked a few times. Said,
1: oh, oh really and you're like oh, nope nope
0: different skill set <laughs> Yeah, we did work together for a while and it was lovely and we had the greatest time, but we practiced such diverse areas of law that it made sense to go different directions. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's wonderful. When he went to law school, I was like, oh, you can finally argue the right way. This is fantastic. <laughs> Logical. It's wonderful. We're going to make so much more progress in our disagreements now
1: that's awesome good for you guys and the best part about that is in 50 years when you guys are able to pay off your student loans from being I'm just teasing oh, it's,
0: it's, it's tricky yeah it's gonna be a long time I hear
1: I hear some of those stories about you know lawyers and doctors and some of those things and 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 how much and that's not what this conversation is about either but I just am like how in the world and with two of them in the house yeah. good for you guys.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how we <laughs> if retirement ever comes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yes. Uh, okay. So I I want to ask you um the process of writing a book. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily even the topic of a book. There, there's a little bit of um, oh, I don't know. Like a little bit of ego, I think, to be like I have something that's within me, and I think you have to have it, and I admire it. There's something within you that has to be like I have something, and it needs to be a book. Tell me that kind of thought and process for you.
0: Yeah, so I write for a living. So appeals, well, it, it, it's basically just you write big essays all the time, uh-huh. but they're like fourteen thousand words. It's like sixty pages. So, when I get a case, how do I figure it out? I write, and so I have been in this and with this book um I I think I'd always wanted to write something but I was basically in the throes of this like existential faith crisis and for about a year and um finally in in, like the beginning of January of 2021 I'm like okay I think I'm in a space where I can I can start writing to figure it out and either I'm gonna write and I'm gonna stay with God or I'm gonna write and I'm gonna leave God but I need to write to figure it out because that's just how I process everything is by writing it down yeah. so I, I don't think it really started off as an intention i mean I, I when i started it was just like i need to write to figure it out
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: six months later it turned into a book but it certainly didn't start as i have figured it out and now i'm going to write it and share my wisdom with everybody mm-hmm. so it's very much a, a working process and um, my mom will read it and she's like i can I can see where you were. Like (laughs) like It's a a stream of consciousness. I just feel like this is you figuring it out and you're going along. So yeah, I mean, I certainly, I think it might be different for others who Mm -hmm. have things figured out and then they write it to share what they have figured out. But for me, it was, uh, this is the only way that I can can figure out how to figure it out. (laughs) So I'm just going to sit here and write it and reorganize and think and read and write and see where I end up. And if I end up with God or if I end up not with God.
1: So walk it back for me even further than, like, what 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 were we struggling with? You said you sort of dropped faith crisis, like, anyway, so faith crisis was like, wait a minute, hold on, what are we, take, take me to that moment, take me to where we're struggling.
0: Yeah, so a year prior, I had, well, for a couple of years prior, I had, you know, there had been this significant emphasis in our church about increasing our capacity and ability to receive revelation and, um, you know it wouldn't be possible to spiritually survive without the guiding influence of the Holy Ghost. You know, it was just a really big influence in that. And although I had felt that certainly I felt the spirit in my life I and things like that, I just never felt that I could get direct answers from God. And that for some reason at that point in time felt really important that if I was going to spiritually survive in the future, then I needed to figure out how to get direct answers from God, you know, we hear all the time about, you know, this person comes along and deceives this person and they go off and they do weird things. And I'm like, it just seems really important if we're going to have this increased deception that I need to be able to pray to God and say, hey, like should I, what do you think here? You know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um I have never been good at getting direct answers from God. In fact, I can only remember one, mm-hmm. uh, one time in my life where that's happened. And that really stresses my husband out when I'm like, you were not that one instance. <laughs> <laughs> And so um wait so, so what is the yeah. one
1: instance are you going to tell me the one instance or do i have to uh, ask about it
0: joseph smith is a prophet That was okay. the
1: one. Instance. that's how, it yeah tell, how but, what was that like tell me tell me with the scenario around that for you
0: so that was a very much praying about it and going in to get my patriarchal blessing when i was 16 ish uh-huh. and having that come out my patriarchal blessing like it was just like right there right next to each other so it felt very much like a direct answer but everything else, you know, should I marry Lucas? It was just kind of like, well, there's just nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And, um, going to law school, having kids, moving, you know, all of those really important like decisions that we want to bring God into just nothing. Yeah. So I decided in, um, you know, the end of 2019 that I wanted to figure this out. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for a revelation that I think would be really easy for God to give. Which means I'm not going to pray for Him to change any anybody or anything. Just I just want like a spiritual impression. So I decided I'm going to pray about whether the Book of Mormon is true. I of course said that prayer a lot, mm-hmm. like, frequently throughout my life. I've never had one of those experiences, and so I'm like, you know, it's about time. I'm in my 30s, it's about time. And so I read the entire Book of Mormon in six weeks because I thought that you know I need to prepare myself sure. I need to sure. And put myself in the best position where I can receive this revelation. And I sat down and prayed in January of 2020 and there was nothing. And I prayed a few more times and they got more frantic and just like, and there was nothing. And the only thing that I can say, Richie, is that it felt like I was in a big cast iron pot and the lid went on. Like it just oh. felt like there was nothing for, there was no answer here. And then everything went quiet. Like the spirit mm-hmm. disappeared and God disappeared. And so my entire framework for how I understood God and how I understood you know, how he's responsive and how, you know, you can pray and you can receive things that he's loving and he wants to be involved in your life, that entire framework collapsed. And I, for me, the, the best description of a crisis is not something that's hard, but it's what happens when your frameworks completely collapse, like yeah. your way of understanding the world just disappears. So my framework collapsed and I just went, and it seems kind of silly. I think sometimes with faith crises, you're like, really, was that? But for me, that's what it was. Um, and everything just went quiet. And I ended up, so I just I just felt nothing and it was horrible. And then that created a really significant depression. And then that led to a really significant anxiety. And then, um, and it just lasted, it just lasted. And it took me about eight months to start talking about it because I didn't understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand how I was feeling. And it took me several months to go in and I got some help um, because I realized I had a friend who was like, you know, you might be feeling some depression. Maybe this could play a role in how you're thinking. Um, So I got some help for my mental health. And about a year later, I was still in the throes of just feeling so dark and God's not here and there's just nothing. But at least I got to a space where I wasn't so sad and I wasn't so fearful, or at least I was in a space where I could begin to challenge those things and begin to think about my thoughts. And that's when I sat down and started writing and started saying, okay, frankly, my big question was, is God worthy of worshiping? Does God exist? Because um, if he's not, then I'm out of here. Like, yeah. I'm not going to stay. If this is the way that God treats people, then I'm not going to stay. So that was the question that I sat down with and started writing about. Uh,
1: let's take a break right here. And let's uh, let's uh, start to flesh out some of the things that uh, that you figured out, that you started writing, and maybe some Some stumbling blocks along the way. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church that is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's geared for kids and grandkids aged four to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from The Friend Magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable The Friend Magazine skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church. So there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called The Friend Magazine Skill. Be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in this second block of The Cultural Hall, remember, you can always uh, leave us a review, and we encourage you to do so. Don't make your listening of The Cultural Hall be passive. Make it an active listening. Now, you can send us an email, hall.com. That's the thing you could do. When you get done listening to this or another episode, you could leave a review. I know there are many of you that listen that have not yet done that. You could do that very thing. You could also tell your friend, you know, that friend, a friend that listens to a lot of podcasts or, you know, w- wants something new, wants something that they can talk to you about, you can say or share a link to this or other episodes and say, hey, have you listened to The Cultural Hall or have you listened to The Cultural Hall recently? Since we've been around for 12 years, maybe they haven't listened. Maybe they listened in their youth and haven't been back. The point is, do something with your listening of The Cultural Hall. And you can find uh, all, all of that uh, at theculturalhall.com. Emily, Yes. I want to make sure that I understand uh completely. So as far as faith crisis, it was it was just a heavens are shut and I don't want to I don't want to minimize it cuz I think that that's a big deal, but there wasn't anything like oh that person was horrible to me or there's a horse in the book of mormon or any of those kind of things that sort of surrounded it. It was just the existence of God, the listening and aid of God in your life that sort of started you in this spiral.
0: Yes. And, you know, I am very, was very aware and I'm very aware of a lot of the problematic church history and policies and things that still kind of eat at me. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, that was all I could swallow all of that. If there was a God that was in charge of it, that was. OK. okay. And so if there wasn't a God that was in charge of it, that was it then Mm -hmm. frankly nothing mattered the church didn't matter nothing mattered so it's interesting i do think that there's a lot of folks that have a faith crisis where it's more church oriented um you know history focused or particular leaders or something like that and for me it wasn't because it was just like you know there there are going to be bad leaders out there and Brigham young is going to do some stuff that's nuts and so did joseph smith and there's going to be some policies that are really not good because it's a very human project i'm Mm -hmm. Solidly in the camp that the church is a very human project of divine fingerprints. So that means that we're going to get stuff wrong, probably a lot. Yeah. But if God isn't behind it, or if God isn't worth worshiping, then none of it matters. So yeah, it was it was a, it was a straight on straight straight to God faith crisis.
1: You know, and as you were describing it as foundation for for whatever reason, in my mind, I sort of thought scaffolding and the idea that you were on the side of a building and then the someone. You know, removes the scaffolding, and you sort of hang on because that's what you would do to stay alive, right? But you get tired, and you don't know how that scaffolding that's gone below you is going to be re- rebuilt, and that's scary. I don't know why that was the the kind of mind's eye as you were talking about losing your foundation. So,
0: yeah, well, and for me, it was just completely gone. Like if I could fix, if I could, if my if my faith was a was a building, it was like there was a wrecking ball that took it, and there was nothing. Absolutely- mm left Hmm. and it felt like it evaporated quickly which was surprising to me because my faith has been with me my whole life my you know multi-generation Mormon family and my parents were very involved in Colorado you know I think that my family was one of the what are they called the same 10 people whatever that's called just
1: like the 10 percenters yeah
0: yeah the the people you know those the same 10 families that you can always call on. I mean so it was the church was really important and to have it all and to have the, the God piece just be gone and to feel like well I, I don't know it was it was actually very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. It was very surprising. And I i thought that those who went through existential crises were just going through phases and were mm-hmm. like just like oh it's the popular thing to do. But no it's a real thing and it's really hard. And this is why you never think that other other people's trials are just silly because then you'll go through it yourself and then you'll realize oh yeah that's really that was really hard. It was really hard.
1: So so Help help me uh, help me understand a little bit more about it because you talk about like uh a, a, you know this depression and this you, you know this feeling. I really like the visual that you created where it's like the lid is on. So anything that you're sending up, anything that's trying to get out, tapped at the lid. What you were testing it, you were doing all the things and and just not getting the answer. So so take me take me into that and and, uh, and then when you started writing.
0: Yeah, so I mean. It was, it was, I mean, I think it first started off trying to, I, I think, you know, whenever you begin to see, whenever you begin to feel differently about something that's really important to you, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things you, that I did uh, at first, like sometimes you try to frantically do whatever you can, because you're like, there's got to be some one thing that can fix it. Sure. If I just find the one thing that can fix it then everything will be good. God will come back. So I tried that for a while, you know, just frantically bought a lot of books and, you know, read a lot of things and signed up for a lot of courses that I never listened to, but I had this, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I'm like, well, there's in here in one of these books has got to be the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing. that think mm-hmm. And then I slowly creeped into just this, this depression just came in and it was just this overwhelming sadness. And I certainly had felt depression before, but not to this extent. And, um, when you feel depression, it just, it just, it's just really hard to function. just really hard to function. And I could function. What's interesting. I could function in my professional life and I thought I was functioning okay in my family life, but in my spiritual life, it was just horrible. Like it just church was really hard. Like I go to church and, um, I love my board. My board is fantastic. But what I was experiencing was so different from what I heard on the stand um, that it would be really hard to sit in church. And a uh, conference was really, really hard. Like the um first conference that it happened, so the April 2020 conference, I just walked, I just felt that I was being told over and over again that because my faith wasn't strong, that I was not worth it, which wow. I know was not what was said over sure. the stand, but that is certainly how I took it. Um and so it was just really hard. And when I would try to find resources in our faith that would help describe what I was feeling generally the answers that I found were things like you've committed some sort of sin or you're just not tuning into the right frequency or God is always out there you know and you just have to figure it out and it was really frustrating to me because I'm like you know I, I wasn't committing any sin I just really wanted to know if the book was true and then um, and then I was like, I've been trying all these things. I have no idea what the right frequency is. Maybe I'm just defective. And that was really kind of the word that came back was I'm just defective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, I don't know if I like God at all and I must be a defective person were kind of the two kind of reigning thoughts. And um, one thing that really helped me in the process was actually stepping outside of um, kind of our the standard books and answers in our faith and seeing what other faiths have said. And so I picked up um, Mother Teresa's book, you know, the one that was written after her death where it published all of her letters where it talks about her dark night of the soul and how she felt so close to God early on in her life. And then, you know, she got to this point where she felt like God had disappeared and she didn't understand and it was so painful. And all she wanted to do was connect with God and there was nothing there. And um, that actually really helped to just be like, oh my gosh, there are other people that feel this way. And it kind of opened up an entire world of of literature for me. That's actually like, so the dark, that's called the dark night of the soul in the broader Christian tradition. And there's a lot out there about the dark night of the soul. And I certainly don't want to put myself on anywhere close to that same plane, but it was just really nice to have another way of approaching this feeling that, you know, it's possible that God could go quiet and that you could learn something from the quietness that you couldn't learn if God had answered. Because there's a lot of, you know, sometimes at least when when I look back, there's a lot of our religious experience that we sometimes contribute to our own righteousness. We say, Mm -hmm. because I did this, then all these amazing things happened. And certainly that might be true in some contexts. But one thing that this has taught me is that God's will is important over everything. And that you really just have to give it all to God that, you know, I in even if I think I'm the, doing the best I can, I'm the most righteous person ever. I can't control God and I can't make him do things. Yeah. And it's really arrogant of me to think that I have received blessings because of my righteousness. Yeah. So, um, so it's just been it's been interesting. And there's been a lot of you know, Catholics and Episcopalians that have written about the dark end of the soul. Um I read I want, a lot of winners' I, books that were really good too.
1: Sorry, go I ahead want to ask read. you a question around that. So I think there's and this seems almost silly the way that I'm gonna say this, but I really do mean it. I think that there's a certain amount of courage or um or maybe it's desperation, uh, of faithfulness. I'm not sure the right word to use here, but to be able to step out from what you know that being the those things within the church, those, you know, those uh, scriptures, those documents, those whatever the kind of things those, those things that were told all, over and over and over again and be able to step and go, maybe there's something over there that could be able to instruct me in a different way. W- what, what word do you feel like, um, was it that drove you there? Was it desperation? Just that need for a thing? Was it courageous? Yeah. I'm going where no one has gone before family. That's multi-generational Mormon. Watch out. I'm blazing a new trail. What was it?
0: There's no courage, Richie. <laughs> There's no courage whatsoever. I I think it was desperation because I wanted, I really wanted to figure it out. Um, and I just wasn't reading things that were helpful within our own faith tradition. And I'd gotten to this space in my personal faith, you know, before this point in time where, you know, other people's faiths were, they weren't, wasn't scary anymore. Like I remember as a teenager going to like a Baptist um, service and walking away and just being so mad about it. Cause I thought that it was just like, Oh, they got everything wrong. <laughs> but I actually love going to other churches services. And I hadn't really dug into the literature of other faiths, But I had I mean, one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had was in um, St. Paul's Cathedral during Evensong in in London. I mean, it's just like there's there's so much good out there. And so I think that it just seemed like I was already in a space where I was willing to look at other things and realize that, you know, there's goodness everywhere. And um, in our faith, we can sometimes get into a little bit of an echo chamber, you know, Mm -hmm. just a little bit. And it can be, you know, because this general has already said this.
1: 30 or years just ago. a lot bit, <laughs> or just a lot bit. I mean, just yep. a little bit sometimes, but also just a lot yeah. bit sometimes.
0: Yeah. So we can get in this echo chamber, and it's it, it can be okay. I mean, it's it's okay, but I think that I just was not finding anything that was helpful. And so I like to say that it was the Episcopalians and the Catholics and the Buddhists mm-hmm. that kept me with God. And, you know, certainly there were some um, LDS authors that were super helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I really liked Wendy Ulrich, and she's a um, psychologist. psychologist.
1: Previous guest of the Cultural Hall. You can find her episode. We visited with her a while back.
0: Yeah, she's wonderful. And she wrote this book called Let God Love You, and it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. And I did not find that until, like, way far into it, like maybe like 18, 19 months into this cool. whole, maybe, maybe 14 months. Anyway, but it was in the writing process, a friend had picked it up and said, you should read this book too. And she talks about how, you know, withdrawal is a natural stage of relationships. Like you have a honeymoon phase and then you have like the power struggle stage, you have the withdrawal stage, and then you have an acceptance stage, But she talked about in like normal marriages, mm-hmm. successful long-term marriages. I think the statistic was over 60% of problems never get solved. And so you're in the power struggle stage, over 60% of your problems don't get solved. And that can lead to withdrawal where you're just like, maybe this person that I married is not the person that I want to be with. And that can last a long time. And she talks in that book about her own struggles with God, which I thought were incredibly powerful. And then you get to the acceptance stage, which does not mean that the problems are solved. It just means that you've accepted your spouse for who they are, all the messiness. And so she talks about how this can apply to our relationship with God. And that was really helpful too. It was helpful to be like, you know what, this could also be a really normal part of our relationship. It feels like a really awful part of the relationship. Yeah. But Wendy talks about in her book how you know the getting through the withdrawal stage does not mean that you um go find a different church or a different God. You just keep going. And she talks about it like a road trip and she's like, you just put your tires on the road and you keep driving. A newer car is not going to make it better. A different location is not going to make it better. You just keep going and you just get through it. And just the reality of that, just the realism was so incredibly helpful to me. So yeah, highly recommend Wendy's book. And I now have space to what questions you You're
1: fine. You're fine. We're leading into another thing. So I'm curious because I, I feel like within the culture, there's a lot of opportunity for people to, to, um, be able to declare their testimony that they know, right? They know that the whatever. Uh, And then other people, and there's certainly that contingent of people that, you know, uh, gifts of the Spirit, there are some to know and some to believe, and we have space for both of those, um, you know, those uh, spiritual gifts within the church. I wonder how much of like being surrounded by those people who are, are constantly declaring to know or even just to believe these things with you um either did it perpetuate um your need to want to know or the shame about not knowing or being able to affirm what you said you believe or was it not not about people at all
0: that's a great question so when it came to wanting to know direct answers i I just think it was something that had bugged me a long time. And certainly there had been other people where it seemed like they could get these answers and, yeah. and I couldn't. Um, but you know, I haven't really thought about whether that was how much of an impact that had, but I, I, it really was just this years long, like, gosh, I guess, I guess I'll just go forward with this. You know, I haven't, you know, we're supposed to get answers. I'm, I'm yeah. not, you know, we're supposed to bring God in and I'm not. Um, so it was just kind of a years long thing. Um,
1: it finally culminated and everything going. Yeah, I and, I and and kind of walking it out too. I think and and one of the things that I think is so unique and that I love about uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is the example of Joseph Smith, where it's like had a question, God came to him. Now. We sort of put ourselves in that position to where we hope to have that God moment. I don't think many of us, I'm sure there are some, but believe that we're going to have God come literally physically to us and say that whatever the answer is, but it's empowering. And I think it leaves that gap, that sort of abandonment. If we don't feel like we get an answer in similitude to having God literally answer our prayers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe amped and, up. I don't know. Right, right. And we do have a lot of rhetoric about, you know, if you do this, then God will help you. If you do this, then God will answer you. If you follow these steps, then God will answer you. And I think when you're younger, those steps sometimes do work. And um we have a very much like action promise, you know, you do this, then there's the promise. Um And that can be helpful, but it can also turn God into this transactional kind of God, where all I have to do is like, these are my things, and then God is required to respond to me in this particular way. Mm -hmm. And I think as I, one big thing I had to jettison uh, in this, you know, writing process was, oh my gosh, I am viewing God as basically like a vending machine. Like if I do certain things, then he'll do certain things. And what's tricky is that you read the scriptures, and there's certainly scriptures that seem very, very transactional. Mm-hmm. but that's just not something that's played out well in my life. And I had to just let go of this transactional God and then figure out, well, what's in the place. If, if I can't depend on God to do something when I have followed all the steps, like, is it worth believing in God? Mm-hmm. And so I had to wrestle with that for a while and be like, well, what, what God takes its place. And what, I mean, do I really like that God? If I can't say, <laughs> Hey, if I do these four things, then you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. So um Yeah. I mean, I think there certainly is a culture around, and I think for some people that's, that is the relationship with God. I think some folks really do have a very, like they do this and God shows up in this particular way. And that's fabulous. Yay. For them. It hasn't been my experience. Um, and it's just something that I've had to let go of. So,
1: so then take me to, uh, the relationship, how, how you found heaven, obviously that part being the subtitle of your book to, to know then, um, the way that you're able to see god walked out and how other people interact with god and know that that is not what your experience is like the experiencing that quietness that heavens are closed almost is sort of how i interpreted that obviously you don't presently believe that they're that they're closed so how how are you able to have that connection in that in that quietness in that it doesn't show up like it does for other people
0: yeah, so there was a good part of the quietness where I just felt that heaven was gone, God was gone, God wasn't worth it. I was super angry. Um,
1: literally angry, really mad. Like,
0: oh, I was mad. Yeah, I was super mad. I was mad at uh, the church. Uh-huh. I was mad at God. If God existed, it was kind yeah. of like if you exist, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I know, and and it was kind of what it was. I mean, to be very forthright, that's what it was. Um, I was no, really. No.
1: Now, let me ask you, does your husband sort of, uh, does he, you know, walk out and is his faith sort of like, do do a thing, receive a thing? Uh, like, how, how does it play out for him? And was that uh, tumultuous f- for the two of you and how you engage faith because you were having this struggle and maybe he wasn't?
0: So he did a really nice job of not freaking out. And if I had one piece of advice I'd give to people who have a loved one or a friend who's going through a faith crisis, the best thing you can do is just not freak out. Um, what, did not got, fre-
1: what did not freaking out look like? I think that people,
0: uh, right? Like I think sometimes, when, especially when you're in a marriage relationship or a family relationship, you see eternity, and when one partner or child or parent or whatever is, you know, questioning, then we can say like, "Oh my gosh, my eternity is going to look different, and they're going to be gone forever," and, and it can just cause a spiral of, "This is awful. Like I'm losing them forever," um, and then that can cause some problems. Like you can you can feel. Like it can feel controlling, it can cause a little anger on that other person's side, so, you know, it can just cause a lot of problems in the relationship. So um Lucas did a really nice job of not freaking out. And um and our conversations sometimes were he also got to a really good point where when I was frustrated, he would say, Is this a listening conversation or is this a conversation where you want me to push back? Yeah. And um, so we got, we got a really smart husband move. And um Sometimes I was ready to be pushed back. And I think, I think just as a tangent, that's actually a really important part of the process. Like when you're at the very beginning, for me, I was so sad and so angry and just depressed and just everything. And I, if anybody pushed back, it was horrible. I did not need that. I just needed people to listen. I needed them to understand. I need to figure out what was going on in my head and why I felt the way I did. But then there got to a point where I needed to be able to sit in church and talk to people. And I needed to be able to feel a little bit of pushback and be okay with it. Because guess what? We're all going to approach faith really differently. And there are some people who are going to be in the, I know camp. And that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I need to have myself in a space where I'm not feeling mortally wounded every time I go to church. And I hear that, or um, if somebody talks over the stand about how doubters are horrible, or we don't doubt and all that stuff, I need to get to a point where I can just, be like oh yeah okay well, that's their opinion i've got a different opinion and guess what we can both have different opinions and stuff right? mm-hmm. so um so yeah don't don't freak out and know that it's just a process and he was he did a really nice job of just viewing it as a process and it's interesting because he said that he his faith struggled when he saw my faith struggle you know mm-hmm. we were intertwined in that way um his was a little different i think and um not nearly as Dark and hard, <laughs> but definitely. And he views things. He's he views things differently now. It's been really interesting. Sometimes I'll go to church and he'll come out and he'll be like, "What did you think?" And I'm like, well, "You know, that's yeah. like something particular that was said." And he's like, "Yeah, now that I know you, that bugs me too now."
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know, it's just interesting to see how it works. But well, yeah. and, and a quick quickly step into that. A couple of things. One is I think that uh, you know, as a partner of someone. That you don't, I mean, you have this firm belief and maybe you've had those experiences where you feel like God has truly answered and you're like, yes, come on, God, that I believe in, give this person that I love more than anything else in the world, this same part of an experience that I had so that they don't have to struggle so that they can, you know, all these things that they worry about, you know, that they can be eliminated or at very, uh, at very least, you know, sort of lessened from the the stress that they have because you love that person so much. The other thing I want to just uh, quickly highlight, I love that you, um, that your husband said, you, you know, what, what do you need? Do you need the, is this listening or is this com- not combative, but like, am I, am I helping she you? Back a little bit. Are we talking yeah. through this? Yeah. And I I also have appreciated when people, because I'm able to have a lot of faith conversations because of the cultural hall, because we talk about all sorts of things and, and people will engage me and I encourage people to do that. I also like it when people engage me and say, I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to listen to this or talk me through this. And I think that that can be a powerful place from us that may be struggling or that want to share something to say as we engage in it, this is what I want so that it doesn't have to always be on that other person. I digress.
0: Right. Oh, no, it's so true. And I think that we all have this natural inclination where we want to fix people. Mm-hmm. And especially when you get in the faith context, it's like, well, if you just do these four things, everything's going to be fixed. And I just think that when somebody is, like when, when I was feeling in a really dark space, I didn't want to be fixed. I just wanted to be, sad. I, wanted to be mm-hmm. sad. I just wanted to be sad. I just wanted to be upset. And I wanted to work through it at my own pace. There was no fixing And so I think, and and really the only fixing that could happen was when I was willing to be in a spot where I could think about things and and just try and hope that in the writing process I could find God. But I had to get there on my own. Nobody could push me there. So, yeah, we'd love to fix, but. Fixing, well, and,
1: yeah, happening. and and no one ever gets fixed when someone's trying to fix them. That's my favorite part, but yeah, here's the solution. You're like, no, I'm even if that is the one hundred percent right thing to do, I'm not going to do that because I'm not ready or willing to do that at this point, right? I may eventually get there. So so you you decide that you're going to write to figure this out, to walk this through to to be able to do it. Take, take me to, as you're first starting to either take um, fingers to keys or pen to paper, what what did that look like in the early, early process of this?
0: Yeah. So what I decided was that I would spend the first half hour of my workday writing. So i get all the kids off to school and go to work, spend half an hour. And, um, that was great because it, it seemed doable and it, know you're not spending your whole day working on this and you know life has to happen right and so the first little while it was um just a lot of disjointed thoughts and paragraphs and questions and um and then i spent one weekend early on going through a bunch of the books that i had read and just pulling out things that were helpful and stuff that i had read in that prior year and stuff that i had read years prior like um i had read planted by patrick mason years prior Mm -hmm. and i pulled that out and i found you know the stuff that i had highlighted And I'm like, wow, this is good. Like, I need to revisit this book because it's good. Um, And I spent some time just kind of digging into what other people have said and kind of categorizing it into things. And, And I would just say, okay, the first thing I need to figure out is doubt. Like, I have, it seems like we have a rhetoric where doubt is bad. And if I'm doubting, that means that I can't be faithful and um my questions are definitely doubts they're not just these faithful questions they're definitely doubts I'm doubt mm-hmm. doubting God I what do I do with it so I think I spent the first two months or maybe three months just thinking about doubt and coming in and writing for a little while and and putting it down and thinking and then rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and, rewriting and, rewriting. and at the end of two or three months I got to a point where I thought you know what doubt in my circumstance was actually was actually a good thing because yep. it's exposing all these things that I didn't know were creating, you know, were kind of the foundations of my faith. There were all these thoughts and ideas that I had that were um, in the back of my brain. And I didn't realize they were there until they hit the wall of experience and fell apart. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's what that's what the process looked like. So it was just a half an hour every workday wow. for you I, know, six months.
1: I really struggle with the the, uh, the phrase that has become popular, the doubt your doubts. And uh, like to me, I'm just like explore them and figure them out and study them out. And maybe that's what was meant within that. But like t- to me, I, I feel like it's so I, I recently uh, renovated a home. And if you don't pay attention to where your roof is leaking, you're going to find yourself in a big problem. I'm not saying that that's what happened to me, but that's 100% what happened to me. And you can't just be like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's leaking. It's like, no, that is a thing that needs to be addressed that I need to find out why it's happening, what it is, be able to patch it. If I can't patch it, I need to get a new roof and be able to do that. And, and, And I think that for some, it can feel super lonely to be doubting because there's so much spoken about not doubting that we feel like we are the only one who doubts. And I think that just pours fuel on a fire of doubt as opposed to, are you doubting? Yeah, you bet. I doubt all the time. Do you? Yes, I do. Let's talk about it.
0: Yeah, and I have actually two responses to that because I think that's a really good point. The first thing is it is it is a lonely process. I felt so alone. But what's been interesting is as I opened up, I actually found a lot of, well, I had two really dear people who were feeling very similar yeah. and and having them in my life, was actually an incredible part of the healing process for me. Um, and then as this book has been out, it's been fascinating to get comments back and like, oh my gosh, I felt the same thing. I felt the same so, so I think it's everywhere. I think it's everywhere. I just think that it just felt very isolating at the time when in fact, it's actually a really common experience. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, the doubt in your doubts was was tricky for me too. And one thing that I really liked was um, Thomas Pikunky, who we talked about earlier, and, mm-hmm. and Brian McLaren. So Thomas McConkey wrote a book called um, Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis. And Brian McLaren wrote a book called um, Faith After Doubt. And both of them talk about how we have our small f faith. um, Mm -hmm. And that's how we frame our beliefs. And then we have big f faith, and that's God. And so Brian McLaren talks about we have our understanding of God, which is our small f faith. And then we have God, which is the big f faith. And Mm -hmm. is there a way that we can doubt our understanding of God without doubting God. So there's a difference between our thoughts and the actual reality of God. And I, I think that that is how I have interpreted doubt your doubts, like, can you doubt your, can you can you really question and dig into your understanding of things without maybe doubting the bigger God picture? Now I went straight to God is terrible and awful and I don't ever want to, you know, I went straight to doubting God, but I think it was helpful for me because my, my ideas about God were completely enmeshed with God. So to me, they were one and the same. Ah. And this process was a really good process for me to separate them and to realize that God is actually separate than me. God's like this tree outside. No matter what I think about the tree, I'm not going to become the tree. My thoughts are not going to become the tree. Mm. The tree is the tree. And so that's what God is. Like, He's it's just, he's this separate thing from me. And my job is to get my thoughts as close to the reality of God as they possibly can be, knowing that we're on completely different planes, and that's going to take a lifetime, if not an eternity of effort. So I think that it's, so that's the way that I've interpreted it. And I actually right now think that doubts are good. And the thing is, they can be scary. And I think when people do begin to question things, there are going to be those who leave Um, Some for very good reason, but I have really latched onto this idea that God can redeem anything. So sometimes I think that redemption means that you do leave for a while and you figure it out and you come back, or maybe the coming back happens at a later point. I mean, I just think that God can redeem anything and he can make everything work for your good. So that means that doubts can work for your good. And I kind of look back at my old self pre existential crisis Mm -hmm. and, and think, wow, you know, I I am grateful for that person. I was, but I also was probably kind of arrogant in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and, and thought that maybe I was more righteous than I really was. And I could cover up some things because I felt good on Sunday, you know, and having gone through this, it just kind of strips you of all of that pretense and you just are some people call the dark night of the soul, you just are naked before God, which is kind of an awkward thing, but it's just that whole idea of it just strips you of of all the things that you thought you knew and mm-hmm. gives you the one thing, which is I don't really know anything. <laughs> and guess what? It's okay. It's actually okay.
1: I want to take another break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about how you find heaven now. And there's three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll ask those of you. We'll come back and do that in the third block. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a Cultural Hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event, or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to Best DJ in Utah. for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com here in the third block of the cultural hall. So we have mentioned a lot of uh, books and references and prior interviews. You know, we've had Patrick Mason that you talked about planted. We'll leave a link for that book and that interview in the show notes, plus uh, Thomas McConkey, previous episode and his book and all of those things. You know that you will always be able to get anything that is mentioned either by myself or by uh, the guest that I have in the show notes and make sure you check that out. And you know what? Buy the book. That's what I'll say to, to that support those people that are uh, putting out great content like Emily Adams and others, uh, so that they can, you know, they're not getting rich. They're not retiring. They're just, you know, it validates the effort which they have put into their thing. Won't you please, uh, support them that way, Emily, uh, finding meaning. Um, obviously as we sit now and record this in the spring of 2023, uh, I'm not going to presume that you're on the other side of this necessarily, but I am going to presume that you are further down the path. So tell me how, how you find meaning, how God is there, what the experience from the start of this to now publishing this, to having this out and and, and us sitting here, like where you're at today.
0: Yeah. You know, I got to a point when I started writing that if God was quiet, I, I got to a point where I realized that God was good. And that was enough. All I needed was that God was good. And that's kind of all I've got right now. that's sure. good. Um and I realized that if God was good, then there was goodness that could come from the quietness. And if God decided to be quiet the rest of my life, it would be hard, but I could handle it. Hmm. And um so it, yeah, I got to the point where like whatever, whatever God is, because God is good, I'm willing to accept another God, whatever God gives me. What's been interesting is that I'm in a space where um I think rather than it's been interesting to look at spiritual practices more expansively and how connecting with people. Like I thought that the two people that I connected with and several others who I'm like, I couldn't feel God, but maybe I could feel God to them. You know, maybe that was God showing up in my life through other people. Um, there's something about being present and just enjoying what is going on right now. That presentness where I think sometimes you can feel like God is in the presentness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not. I don't have like this. Really, I, I never, I, I have no idea how to get direct answers from God. Um, that's a book for somebody with a much higher degree. Yeah, people I, flip I, to
1: the end of the book and go, wait a minute. What? Right.
0: That's, that's, it, the, yeah.
1: This was supposed to be the one thing. She was supposed to give me the one thing in this one, book. and and, no. and it's okay. And it's not there.
0: It's not there. And I never figured it out. And I don't know if I ever will. Um, I think for some people, that is part of their spiritual life that they can ask God a question and God will answer. But for some reason, that's not part of my spiritual life, or maybe not yet. Or maybe I just am still recognizing it. And I'm okay with that. So... Yeah. I just am in a space where I feel a lot of nuance. I feel a lot of gray. I feel a lot of, um, but gray isn't good. Like, mm-hmm. like it's a good, like things don't have to be black and white. They can be complicated. Um, and I've let go of a lot. Like, you know, I think sometimes we have like our testimonies are like, we can hold, our testimonies are about tithing in the temple and blah, 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 all these things. And we hold on to them so tightly. And I've learned to kind of give all of that up and say, it's all about Jesus and God is good. And, that's all I've got. And guess what? It's okay. So I don't know if that's a really good answer to your question. I think it's a great I, answer. I'm kind of in a space of, I don't, I don't know a lot. And I'm, I'm open. I'm open to a lot. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to accept God, however God decides to show up. And if he decides to show up, and if he does, that's great. And if not, I can, I can accept that too.
1: Uh, a question I'm impressed to ask you just popped in my head, so I'll ask it. You know, this life, we we talk about a time to not only prepare to meet God, but also a time to become gods. So we walk that out. We're not getting doctrinally into that. I'm just going to state that and move along. But uh, the idea that so many people take personally is that th- them with their kids is sort of a similitude like God, our heavenly and our, uh, you know, our heavenly parents, heavenly father, heavenly mother uh, to, to us that those are similar, how do you engage with your kids differently because of your experience with God?
0: Well, um, that can kind of be a tricky analogy because I think that if a parent didn't communicate with their kids, that would not be a good thing. Um, But I do think that there is a sense of me that I've learned in this process is I've got to let go of control. I've Mm -hmm. got to let go of any, and, and it's all an illusion anyway, like we don't have control over anything but ourselves but this idea that I can control others. And so with my kids, you know, it's just a lot of, you know, you guys make your own choices. Certainly we have structures and boundaries and things like that, but in the end, my kids get to make their own choices. And and if I can teach them about the goodness of God um, and kind of do that part, I've got to hand it over to them and hand it over to God and just say, I I trust you, whatever that looks like, you know, whatever, who, who knows what your path is going to look like, but I've got to trust that God can redeem anything and can make, anything for your good. So it feels a lot less like I have to hold on to everything tightly and a lot more of like, I can, I can trust and I can let things go.
1: Yeah, man. Remember that as your kids get more and more teenagers.
0: Right, right. Then you really pick your battles,
1: right? Because you will want to to hold on to that. Don't you understand what the choice that you're about to make is going to lead you to? Are you kidding me?
0: Right. Right, and I think that that's so much of life is just realizing that okay, I talked to you about it, and but I can't go walk, I can't like move your legs, like (laughs) you have to move your legs yourself, and that can be really hard. It can be really hard to let go.
1: All right, there's three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is: Is do you have a calling right now, and if so, what is it?
0: So I am the primary chorister. It was a surprise calling, and I love it. Uh
1: huh. Now, it's the course,
0: first time I've had fun at church. Like, and ever. And
1: Chorister, you're the, because you, I sometimes get tripped up a little bit, you're the one who gets to dress up in all the fun costumes, right?
0: Yeah, I went out, when I got called, I went out and I got dresses with, like, significant airflow. <laughs> <laughs> and so, because I thought that that was a good plan. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a very good plan. So anybody who gets called to that calling, go to TJ Maxx and get dresses with significant armholes so that you have lots of airflow yeah. but it's really fun like it's it's been I was a, a really safe teacher for a long time and I love that um but this has been surprisingly fun calling
1: I love it if you could pick a calling for yourself either one that exists or make one up what would you pick
0: mm, so I think I would have said really teacher. I just love that calling I connect well with adults and I love wrestling with things and teaching but I don't know, maybe Relief Society teacher plus singing time. Those two things sound really fun to me, you know? <laughs> so,
1: yeah. I mean, and and when we're talking about creating our own calling, let me throw this out there, people listening, those in charge that don't listen to this, I'm sure. Uh How about singing time in Relief Society? Let's bring that back. Huh?
0: That could be super fun. I mean, I honestly, so. yeah, I'm, yeah. We could hum quietly, jump around, do jumping jacks. It's super fun. So anyway, yeah
1: maybe there will be with the uh with the um outing of the new hymnal whenever that comes, maybe we'll start to bring music into all the classes as we become familiar with the new hymns. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's how we go. can incorporate a little part of that. Um the final question that we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you would like, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith?
0: Hmm. My favorite part of my faith is realizing that faith isn't about knowing things and being a 100% believer all the time. It's about being in the ring and wrestling with God. And sometimes that's ugly and sometimes it's pretty, but I mean, Jacob, when Jacob wrestled with God, he walked away with a limp. which means that, guess what? Sometimes when we wrestle with God, we're gonna walk away with a limp too. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part is being engaged with that wrestle and knowing that I have the capacity to wrestle with God and God is choosing to wrestle with me because God could, and God could have overpowered Jacob, he could go overpowered me anytime time. Um, but he's choosing to engage in it. And that to me is the best part of my day.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we, uh, oh, before I uh, give sort of the the out on this whole thing, I'm sure that as you sort of studied that you came up with a lot of resources maybe that we didn't mention Uh, within this conversation we had today. I would love it if you, as much as you could, uh, could send me some of those. We'll make those available in the show notes as well. I know that people listening to that will certainly appreciate your hard work and there's no reason to reinvent a thing. If you've already done it, let's share it with folks. Uh, if you're willing to do that. Uh, We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On
0: the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.